We've talked about how our culture is changing rapidly. Not only are most churches not growing, and people who attend church attending less often, but of the Christians who are leaving the church, none are leaving more quickly than millennials, young adults under the age of 30. I realize this subject is heartbreaking because we know the kids and young adults who are walking away. We raised them. They may even be your kids. My name is Jeremy. I'm the pastor here, and we've been going through a series called Seven Powerful Conversations. Uh, studying the early church, specifically the book of Acts, written by Luke, and asking difficult questions found in this book, Lasting Impact, by Kerry Newhoff, to which I just uh, read that quote. And today's conversation is a difficult one. Uh, conversation five, why are young adults walking away from church? Why are young adults walking away from church? Now, that being said, I want to do a caveat right off the get-go. Though the research in Barna Group and uh, Sticky Faith Group from Fuller Theological Seminary and lots of the research groups are showing that 40 to 50% of young adults that were raised in the church, grew up in the church, they graduate high school and they've walked over the past decade. So this is a problem. But I don't want to discount the 50 to 60% that remain in our churches. And so if you're 18 to 30 and you're sitting here today, okay, I want to first thank you for being here. And I want to honor that. And I really want to, want to let you know that you, uh, you have stuck through when a lot of peers haven't. Half your peers haven't. And, and maybe some of your peers, even as I'm talking about it, you kind of know people you grew up in church with, if you've grown up in church, and you actually know friends that were in the same youth group as you, but they walked. And, and maybe some of you too, some of you are parents or grandparents of, of kids who raised in the church, and for whatever reason, they graduated high school and they walked. And so I want to start by, by adding this caveat that this is a sensitive discussion. This is a difficult discussion because it's people we know. Uh, myself as well. I have two brothers raised in the church who walked away after high school. So I know it's as, it's as pertinent as it is to me as it is to some of you today. So I want to make sure that we put that right out there. Now, the other thing that we need to note is that this is new. We are walking through a whole new series of problems. Because from the book of Acts and through the entire church history, the 18 to 30-year-old demographic has actually been the driving force of the gospel in the church. Up until the past decade, really 18 to 30-year-olds have had the drive, the passion. They've been the ones stepping up to leadership. They've, they've, they've really carried a lot of the heavy load of the church. And for some reason, that transition didn't happen. And this is all new. We don't even have a place in the Bible to really look at specifically that shows, okay, what happens when uh, half the young adults that, that are active believers walked from the church? Because this is a Western church problem. We're talking Europe, the UK, Australia, United States, Canada. This is a Western church problem that this has happened over the past decade. So it's not just Baptist churches, not Pentecostal churches. It's not, it, it's not that, and it's not big city churches or small town churches. It is all churches. It is a huge problem. We've got to ask why. That being said, we do have a great passage in Acts 20 where we get to kind of be a fly on the wall of a very, very important leadership discussion where Paul is about to leave the Ephesian church and he sits down with the Ephesian elders and he gives them like a last bit of instruction. And we get to kind of look in on that and see what this kind of inner room discussion was all about. And in that has a lot of clues as to maybe what went wrong and how we can bring them back. All right? So Acts chapter 20. 
Acts chapter 20. And we're going to start at verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul says this to the, to the Ephesian elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown, shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. All right, with this passage today, as well as a section, uh, a section in lasting impact, uh, in Conversation 5, Chapter 5, there's a small section that, that's why many millennials have stopped attending church. Okay, in that section, there's five principles. We're only going to cover two today that are pertinent to this passage, but I can't stress this enough. If you haven't read Lasting Impact, if you haven't got a copy, go to lastingimpactbook.com. You can download it there, or there's copies at the back under the service board, and they're $15. Take one, pay later, or if you can't pay, talk to me about it. We'll make sure it gets covered. But if you know someone 18 to 30 years old, and they've walked away if you read only this chapter, you will get a lot of the research and your eyes will be open to some of the reasons and it may give you what you need to start having those conversations to bring those millennials that have been lost that are wandering a bit to bring them back. So again, I can't say it enough. If you haven't uh, read the book, it's awesome. So again, we're going to look at two of the five principles. And the first, the first principle or the first question, and this is a question that a millennial will ask or that research has shown that millennials ask when they walk into a church. So the first question they ask about a church is, are people finding God here? Are people in this church finding God? Pretty pertinent question. You'd think it's almost pretty straightforward. But... Here, here's what Kerry writes. He says, millennials who engage the church are actually looking for God. But too often they feel as if their search is in vain. It's ironic, but a growing number of people claim to be going to church looking for God, but say they are having difficulty finding him. It's not just about finding God, it's learning about him. It's one thing to attend church and find God missing. It's another to attend church only to find God present, but incomprehensible. It still strikes me as incredible that people come to church seeking God only to leave not understanding anything they heard, they hear. So if we get back to, let's get, let's get back to this passage and, and something Paul said, because some of what he said is, is really pertinent. He, he, he gave kind of four warnings to the elders right off the get-go. He said, pay attention to yourselves, okay? So that, that means your, you know, your walk, pay attention to yourselves. And he says this thing, he says, pay attention to all the flock. 
So there's the flock, which we can say, okay, that's good. But it's interesting that he writes in there all the flock. That's important. And then, and then a little bit down in 31, he says, be alert. Okay, wake up. And then he says, remember my admonishments. And this is a fancy word for saying warnings. Pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention to all the flock. Be alert and um, make sure you remember my admonishments. Well, why, Paul? Why? He gives it right in the middle there. There's three reasons. One, fierce wolves or false teachers, after I leave, they're going to they're gonna start pressing into the church. So that's one thing, and that's okay. We can kind of look at that. Okay, I'll be careful. But this next part, this is the shocking part, is that he even turns to these elders, he turns to this leadership, and he says, even among from yourselves, even you guys are going to slip, and you're going to start twisting things and twisting the truth. And twisting things so that disciples follow you. And you're going to pull them away. Can you imagine what that was like when the elders heard that? Like they're probably like, oh no, not me. It's got to be that guy. That would have been a sobering, a sobering thing. Well, now we move to today's church leaders. And we, we, can't, we can't ignore this, this, this admonishment, these warnings either. We have a pastor elder team. I'm, I'm a part of it. So I have to very much take this on my own accord. And so it says, pay attention to yourselves. This is so pertinent to this weekend. I woke up Saturday morning and I had a clear message from the Lord. It's not ready yet. And so Saturday morning, I had to go back to the drawing board and I had to pretty much rewrite my sermon. The community group leaders got two full sets of notes and questions uh, th- this week because the Lord's like, he's not done. Now I could have said, I could have said, you know what, Lord, it's good enough. But I can't, I can't study this. And it says, it says, pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to yourself. You need to make sure that you and God are close. And I haven't had really a great weekend. But before I come here and do this thing, I have got to get myself in check. It is my responsibility to pay attention to my relationship with the Lord. I can't blame anyone else but me. And then this part, guarding, guarding the whole flock, all the flock, it says, pay attention to all the flock. Now let's, let's talk about our current situation in Western church. And let's change the narrative. Let's say 10 years ago, we started to see Gen Xers. So this is, I'm a Gen Xer, anyone who's over 30, but under 45. So in our current world, Gen Xers are typically, a lot of us are married now in the church and a lot of us have children. So a lot of the children in a church in the past 10 years has been from Gen Xers. If 40 to 50% of Gen Xers, if over the past decade they left, I really believe that church leadership would have been sounding the alarm because all of a sudden the children's workers have been like, we don't have a job anymore. Or maybe some of the children's workers, a lot of them that are Gen Xers, they've gone too. All of a sudden, there would be this exodus of children, and someone would sound the alarm. Now, let's go the next one up. Let's talk about the boomer generation. Let's just be real. Boomers have a bit, a bit more money than the rest of us, okay? It's just the way it is. And so, boomers typically are the ones paying the bills. Any amens out there? Okay? We just need to put that clear. For us Gen Xers and millennials, let's just be real. If we didn't have the boomers, we wouldn't be doing a lot of stuff. Let's just be honest. Real conversation, authentic, okay? Any amens yet? Okay, thank you. Boomers, we love you. In your pocketbooks, that's a joke, okay? So, so boomer generation, what if 10 years ago, 40 to 50% of the boomer generation started walking out the door? 
the lights would go off. <laughs> like it would be a serious problem. There would be a massive, in the Western church, there would be a massive crisis. I guarantee the church leadership would sound the alarm. But when it's the millennials, mostly singles, maybe some young couples, don't have children, don't have a lot of spare cash, they started to leave and no one sounded the alarm. So church leadership should have started sounding the alarm in, Western, in the Western church and if it's all the, all the flock. And, and even in this situation, I, I, someone might even say to leadership, you know, if you do this change, me and my tithe are walking out that door. And if it's a boomer, this lead, church leadership has to be like, okay, they, that's, that's a bit of money. Well, what's a millennial going to do? You make this change, me and my student loan are walking out that door. <laughs> you know, what, what are you going to do with that? And, and so something happened there. We missed something. And this isn't just us. This is, this is full-on Western church stuff. They started to exit, and no one sounded the alarm. And so church leadership all over Western Canada, or all over Western, the Western world in Canada, United States, Europe, Australia, we have, we have started taking responsibility. We started having to look at it and making changes so that we can maybe get them back, as well as keep the ones who have graciously stuck in. Next question that millennials, um, that the research has shown that, that millennials ask when they come into a church. And, uh, they, they ask, are people finding community? Are people finding community in this church? Carrie writes, of the many criticisms that can be levied at the church, lack of community shouldn't be one. Nobody should be able to out-community the local church. Amen? And you can make a legitimate argument that one of the reasons behind the explosive growth of the first century church, Acts, the book of Acts, what we're studying now, has, has, was because of the way they loved each other and the world. Love should be a defining characteristic of the local church. Now let's go back to our passage. It is really cool that Paul talks about doctrinal stuff, teaching stuff, false teachers, you know, be careful on that whole regard. And then halfway through this passage, he switches. He switches from the head to the heart or the practical stuff. And, and there's a clear transition in this passage where he moves from the teaching component. And now he says, he talks about a few things just to mention his conduct, how he lived his life, just to remind these elders that it wasn't about just what he taught, that his walk aligned with it, that he wasn't a hypocrite. He, he talked the talk, but he walked the walk. And so he says, he's like, I coveted no one's stuff, no one's riches, no riches. I didn't covet that. He also talks about, he says, you know that I took care of my own necessities. He, he took care of his own needs. And then he says, and the needs of people around me, the necessities of people that I was serving with. And then he adds this other thing that he says, and I'm working hard and working hard in this way, we must help the weak. So he worked hard to help the weak. And really, and, and there's the why. Well, why, Paul? And he gives it to us. It, the answer is Jesus. The answer is just simply Jesus. Because out of all the quotes that Paul could have stated, he chose the quote that talked about an active faith. Jesus, Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. 
Jesus, in how he lived and served, he didn't have one without the other. He, he, he was the king, at, he is the king, but he's the king at building community. Serving and teaching were hand in hand. And this is what Paul's outlining here. Everywhere Jesus went in his ministry, he was constantly, he was serving people, feeding them, healing them, listening to them, encouraging them, and then teaching them. He didn't just go in, slam them with a bunch of information, and didn't do something as well. It's like Jesus showed us that serving and teaching are, are a common thing. And out of that, people followed Jesus everywhere. And this is how the early church exploded, is that the teaching of the gospel and the serving of the gospel went one and the same. As soon as one's without the other, it's lost. And Paul is doing such a great job here of explaining the teaching component, the theology side, and then the serving component, the conduct side. And that's how Jesus built such an amazing community. And that's how the early church spread like wildfire, like Carrie talked about. They taught the gospel, but these people that received the gospel were so giving. They were so loving. How could they possibly love and serve and help people that weren't a part of them? It became irresistible. So what about today? Our, you know, us as church leaders... Same stuff applies. <laughs> Church leaders can't be coveting stuff. You know, we're about to do a new building project. You know, we're kind of ramping up for that and we're excited about it. But if we get to the point where the palace on the hill there on Mountain View Drive, it, and we're putting so much money towards the palace that we forget to serve people and we forget to meet needs, we've missed it. Because now we just want the biggest best building, but we're forgetting how we're going to facilitate that. Now, that being said, I do believe that the Lord has given us that location and that it's an amazing location. You know, across the street, Takini Trailer Park, um, interacting with some people there, there are a lot of needs there, and it is a massive mission field for service and evangelism right near that location. Moreover, the college is close by, and, you know, I, I want to brag on our student ministries intern for a minute. He's been back and forth with the college, uh, trying to start a group, either a small group, Bible study, think tank kind of thing at the college. And, um, and uh, praise the Lord, he, he's, he's gotten permission to do that. Isn't that amazing? And so he's going to be uh, providing a place in the college for people to come ask questions. And, and maybe there's someone that wants, that's an atheist that wants to talk about their faith and everything, but this common ground, this safe place. And, and Adam really feels called to that. It's not something the elders and I really asked him to. Upon coming here, he immediately got in contact with the college. And, and this is really something that the Lord put on his heart. He actually started that movement before he fully knew where our new building was, uh, which is super cool. And so the Lord's maybe already opening up opportunities. This other thing, though, ministering, ministering to our own needs. You know, I, like I said, I need to take care of my stuff. I need to make sure that me and the Lord are right, that I'm a healthy leader. We already talked about that in the previous conversation. Healthy leaders lead healthy churches. If I'm not healthy, okay, we've got a problem. And so Paul talks about this, 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 I took care of my own necessities, as well as people, people with me, people serving with me. And then the other thing, we need to work hard to help the weak. 
This is why we partner with the food bank. So we always say, well, that's not even a Christian organization. It doesn't matter. Our goal is to serve and reach the city. Serve and reach the city. We got to serve the city. Food bank's a great way to do that. That's why I sit on the board. That's why we work with the food bank. And they constantly are wondering, what's the deal with White Earth Baptist Church? They could be putting money into their own pockets. They keep, they keep, you know, doing stuff with us. And so it causes them to think about the gospel. It causes them to ask about Jesus. And we, we this, this past Christmas Eve, you know, or last Christmas, we, we took in a huge amount of money in our, in our first, in our Christmas Eve offering. And we gave a massive chunk of it over to Kyoshi's Place Women's Shelter. I had, the, I had the privilege of going over there and handing a lady a check. And she's like, what's this for? It's for you. It's from our church. And she couldn't understand that there was no earmarks on it. She's like, is it for a certain project? It, no, you can use with it whatever you want. Why did you do this? Because Jesus loves us. And because Jesus has called us to serve this city. And you're a part of this city and you're a place that, that needs it. It's gospel. Serving and reaching our city. This thing. Work hard to help the weak. People who are hungry. Women who have been battered. Regardless of whether or not they know Jesus yet, it's, it, it's got to be part of our call. And now into this whole millennial side, this has really been a hang-up. And this has really been part of, the, part of the journey and part of the problem because as they've asked millennials that have left and as they've done the research, the, the, the information comes back of two words, irrelevance and hypocrisy. Irrelevance of the church and hypocrisy of the leaders. That they grew up learning about a few things, learning about serving the poor, learning about feeding the poor, learning about telling people about Jesus. They were pushed in high school and they were, they were driven to go to their high schools and tell people about Jesus. But then they woke up one day and realized that none of the adults in the church are doing that. That this is like youth group activities, but no one in the church is not really happening enough in a lot of churches. And this was one of the, uh, when I, I finally realized that I'm not actually getting anything out of church, I was just trying to do it for my parents, that I don't even, I, there's no sense of community, I don't belong to anything greater. It's a little bit of a club made up of council and committees and board chairs and secretaries and policies and procedures, but there's nothing, there's nothing that I belong to, there's no cause that I belong to, and that's a key part of the community. So they looked elsewhere. And even in the learning part, they realize that when I go to church, yeah, there's a guy up front and he's talking and he's giving some historical information, some theological information, but I don't know how it connects to me. And I, and, and I, I, I don't see the connection. And I realize that maybe it's just like a lecture that I have at college or university. And this is something that our pastor elder team has become very aware of and why it's so, so important and why the elders hold me accountable that when I preach here, when anyone preaches here, we do not just give some historical or biblical information. Jesus Christ was at the beginning of creation and he will be at the end, in the end times. He is the alpha and the omega, the way, the truth, and the life. And everything we do leads back to Jesus and leads back to the gospel. And we have missed that in a lot of Western churches. And we've talked a lot about Jesus, but not actually shown the realness and the person and the power of Jesus Christ and the transformational growth of the gospel. They've watched people in their churches go every Sunday and actually not grow spiritually. They've watched people in their churches go to church, but none of their friends ever get invited and they never grow numerically. It's just something they belong to, but it's not life-changing. 
And so when they go out on their own, they have to ask, is Christianity really that life-changing? I didn't really see it. We had great fellowship. We got some good education. But I didn't see lives transformed. And this is sobering to hear. I, I get it. It's, it's right here. It's so real with me. I got two younger brothers that want nothing to do with the church. One of them, I think, fully believes in Jesus, but he doesn't want to belong to the church. And this is the hypocrisy side. Because there's been so many leaders telling them, telling us in youth group and in children's ministry to go tell your friends about Jesus. But then you ask the church leaders, when's the last time you shared the gospel with someone? And they can't even remember. It might not have even been for a decade. Or you ask them, do you know what? Do you regularly hang out with anyone who's unsaved? No, they only have Christian friends. They only do Christian things. Okay, wait a second. I thought you told me I need to interact with my friends and I need to be inviting them to the church. I, I thought that's what we're supposed to do. Yes, that's what you're supposed to do because you're a teenager. But adults don't really do that. And this is hard and it's sobering. Like, it's super difficult. But when the research was done, when the research was done and they had to take the answers of the, of the teens and youth, the young adults that walked away, that, that was it. Because children always grow up. And so when a children's in their, child's in their room or a teenager's in the room and they're listening to mom and dad argue about some church meeting and they hear words like committee, policy, procedure, council, and they hear all these government, corporate words that we've pulled in the church— in their room, more is caught than taught, and they are making a decision, a decision of forming, is I never want to be a part of that. Because I don't want to be part of a couple that sits in the kitchen and argues about church. And they realize that at home, the parents aren't ever talking about reaching people for the, the reaching people with the cross. It's, it's all structure and organization. We've been trying hard to, to even get rid of this word committee and trying to put it in team. And it might be a little thing, but it speaks community to the next generation. Committee speaks division. Team speaks unity. And, and for those who have been in the church, we're like, well, potato, potato. For them, it's significant. And if you're a millennial here today, you can, <laughs> you can either say yay or nay to this. But the research says that the people who have walked, that's what it is. But in closing, I want to I end. This has been really difficult, and I want to make sure we end on a high note. And so let's look at the last three verses of chapter 20, because we really see something amazing here. Paul is often known for this strict, firm leader, no nonsense. But what we see as he leaves is an amazing, amazing moment of authenticity, and, and, and we see his heart. It says this, and when he, Paul, had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. These are grown men, elders in the Ephesians church. This is like an eldership meeting with an apostle and this is the last time they're going to see them. And they are so sorrowful about not seeing their brother again. And so sorrowful about the things that are to come that they're brought to tears. And I don't know about you, but if the pastor elder team was weeping in a meeting, 
we probably wouldn't let, want people to know about it because it's a bit embarrassing. But the interesting piece is, is that that little piece at the end shows the authenticity, shows the heart of Paul and those elders. It shows the, the kind of humanness of the story, that these were real guys trying their best to, to love the church, trying their best to lead the church, trying their best to love Christ. And, and, and it fits. This is the kind of stuff, this is the picture that, that young adults are going to resonate with. It, it's not policy and procedure, it's heart. It's real people. Carrie writes in, in, this, in this concept of authentic, authentic leadership and authentic connection. Unchurched people and younger adults and teens are looking for authentic leadership and authentic connection. Quite simply, authentic resonates. More than ever, people are looking for what's real, what's true, and what's authentic. And my goodness, if the church is anything, it should be a place of deep authenticity. As we close, I'll ask the, the worship team to come forward and, the, and uh, the ushers can come forward as well. And as always here, we, we have this time, we're going to sing a little bit. You can, if, if all this has been a lot to handle and you just need to sit and pray, that's fine. Don't feel that you have to stand and um, you can stand and sing if you want, whatever you need to do. If you need to come forward for prayer, you can do that. And I, I understand that this is a difficult conversation. I, right from the get-go, I, I understand it's super hard. Uh, these, these are our friends, our family members, our children that were once a part of the church and that have walked away. We also, uh, through, through part of our worship, we give. You can give online in your mobile device at whbc.ca slash giving or cash your check, check to the ushers. As we pray today, I, I'm going to ask, there's a person. I, I told you about my two brothers. The, the, those are the ones that come to mind right away. There is someone 18 to 30 years old who you likely know who is a part of the church, active, attended, and for whatever reason, they walked. And, and if we can all think of maybe one or two people now, and if we can picture them, the Lord sees them as well. And we're going to this morning specifically pray that the Lord would draw them back. And so whoever that is or whoever they are, if we can just close our eyes and maybe concentrate on their face, that person, see that name. And we're going to lay these names before the Lord this morning. And we're, we're going we're gonna to ask for a miracle. And that he would give us opportunity to speak to them, to draw them back. That we would have opportunity to speak community, to speak God into their lives. And to represent the gospel perhaps in a new way. Or maybe it's just to listen. Just to hear them out on why they were wounded. And to maybe just say sorry and validate it. As we think of those people, as we see them in our mind's eye, let's pray. Dear Father, um, first we want to ask your forgiveness that um, kind of church, church structure has gone in such a way that, that we maybe missed a group. And um, please forgive us for that. We are trying our best. And uh, we want to we correct that in some way. 
Father, we want the 18 to 30-year-olds that you have used throughout the past 2,000 years to be the steam engine of the gospel. We want to ask that you would burn in them once again and that you would bring them back to our churches in, in, a, in a heavy way and that they would be emboldened to, to teach, to, to speak the truth, to serve, to, to be leaders in our church. And may we work alongside of them and we champion them. May we trust them. May we give them responsibility. May we lift them up as much as possible. Father, for the people, each one of us, you can see inside of us. You, you see in our mind's eye and you see the face that we see. You see the name that we're thinking of. And, and Lord, you, you know, I lift up my two brothers to you and, and, and there's people that everyone here is thinking about and you see them. Father, these names we lay at the foot of the cross and we would ask in Jesus' mighty name that your gospel right now in this very second, wherever they are, that it would spark in them and that it would pierce them again, that the, that the love of Jesus and the love of the church that they once had, that you would renew it. And wherever they are all over this world, that, that they would maybe just call us, message us, text us, email, call us, whatever it is, Lord, or someone else, and that you would draw them back. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask that you would bring this 40 to 50% back in a mighty way. And when they do, may we listen. May we be humble. May we champion them once again. Lord, rise up the young adults of this nation. Bring revival to Canada. Solidify the next generation of church leaders. And Father, if needs be, start with us here in Whitehorse Baptist. We're willing. Use us, Father. Amen.